that. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning that we are, as we continue in the word on Elijah, Lord, that you would just continue to encourage us by the testimonies that we see. Lord, that we'd be, we would be encouraged by the courage of others. Lord, I pray this morning that what's spoken here will speak deeply to us. Lord, we won't just sit here and listen to it, but Lord, we'll take it in. We'll take it with us. We'll use it to testify of you, Lord, of your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, remember, uh, how many remember what we talked about last week? We talked about Mount Carmel. Some people say Carmel. I say Carmel. And we talked about this great victory at Mount Carmel. We talked about the 450 prophets of Baal that were destroyed. We talked about the rain that's falling again. If we remember about last week, we, we saw that there was a confrontation. There was a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember they had set up the altars? They set up the altars and they, they called down fire. And the prophets of Baal set up their, their altar and they put the cow on there. I was going to have Doug bring some cows to, to do that, but we didn't end up going that route. So just can't do that sometimes. And we had to remember when they set up the altar, the prophets of Baal went first. And they were dancing around it. They started cutting themselves. They started crying out and, and nothing was going on. And so Elijah's kind of making fun of them a little bit and saying, whoa, maybe you need to speak up a little louder. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Remember that? So they're dancing and they're cutting themselves and nothing happens. Then Elijah steps forward and prays a simple prayer. And the fire of God comes down. Not only does it come down and take up the offering, but all the water that had been poured on the offering. And as soon as this happens, the prophets of Baal are destroyed. Elijah goes and prays, and he sends his, his servant to go and look out into the sky. And as he does, he says there's a seven times he goes, and on the seventh time, he says there's a small cloud in the distance, about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah goes and tells, said, go tell Ahab the rain is on its way. It's time for you to go because the rain is coming. So now we have the rain falling. We have this incredible victory. Incredible victory. Elijah should be just, just enthralled, victorious in battle. But he's not. Ahab goes to tell Jezebel what happens, and she goes berserk. I mean, she just goes nuts. She's, she says, you know what, I'm going to kill Elijah today. So Elijah start, is being hunted now. And what used to be great courage is now replaced with fear. Go to the first scripture this morning. And if we could, you know, I, I do this for a specific reason. If we could all stand. I do this specifically because I, I believe it's right that we honor the Word of God. Amen? You know, I grew up with this. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just forget the things you grew up with. And so I started, th- you know what? Yeah, we, have to, we need to honor the Word of the Lord. And it says this in 1 Kings 19, 3 through 5. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And this is what happens. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. 
I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You may be seated this morning. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Where once there was this great courage, now there's this great fear. We talked a little bit about that last week. We spoke about how sometimes God allows us to go through some things. How many know that, that we've been through some things? How many ever been through anything? Nobody here has been through anything? Sometimes that God allows some things to happen to us to test us. We see that Job was tested. We saw that the Apostle Paul was tested. Here we see Elijah being tested. A deep depression has sunk in now. Suicidal thoughts have entered the forefront of his mind. Lord, just take my life. Lord, I, I can't do anymore. Just take my life. How many, I, I don't want to dig too deep here, but, but there's times in our life where depression has just seized control. There's times in our life where the enemy or, or agents of the enemy will try to seize control of our minds. Where we say, Lord, I just give up. Much like Elijah, I have had enough, Lord. How many ever said, I've had enough, Lord? Lord, I've had enough. Please, I, I'm giving up. I'm done. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my father or my grandfather or my grandfather before him. <coughs> this deep depression sinks in. But God responds with food and comfort in this way. Go to the next slide. It says this. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. There's some times where the journey is just a little too much for us. There's a, there's a saying out there. How many ever heard the saying, God will give it, never give you more than you can handle? How many ever heard that? God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's not true. Does that surprise you? That's not true. Of course God gives you more than you can handle. Why? Because we have to be leaning on Christ. We have to be leaning on, we can't do it all in my own strength. I can't do it all just in, in my own stuff, my own talents, my own me. Why? Because I'm not all that good. I'm just not. I'm not all that strong. I, I, I just, I'm not, I don't have the mental strength sometimes to get through what I have to get through. Sometimes I just don't have it in me. And so then I lean on Christ. Amen? Some people will say that Jesus is a crutch to some. You better believe it. There's some times where I have to lean on my Savior. Amen? It's not just me. It's not just us. It's not just self-improvement and be the best you that you can be. Because the best me is still not equal Come on. Sometimes I can be the best me, but the best me can't handle what's coming at me. I have to lean on Christ. I have to lean on my Savior. I have to lean on the cross. I have to lean on His presence. I have to lean on the Holy Spirit. How many have ever been there before? This is a place where the angel of the Lord comes a second time to Elijah. Get up and eat. 
for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. By that food, he was strengthened. He travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches another mount. This mount is called Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There he goes into a cave and spends the night. He has some strength now. It's been a little over a month. He has some strength now. He's in the cave at Mount Horeb when a question comes to him. The question is this. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Can we get the, we need, let's get in the mindset of Elijah for a second here. The word of the Lord comes to him and says this. It's a soul-searching question. This isn't just that, well, what are you doing here? It's not just, well, you can't, what, what are you doing here? You ever see somebody at a restaurant or see somebody at the store and, hey, what are you doing here? It's not that kind of question. It's not that kind of casual, nonchalant, just, hey, what you doing here, man? No, it's a, it's, it's a soul-searching question. What are you doing here? And Elijah's reply, God, I have done, I've been so zealous for you. I've done everything you've commanded me to do. But the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They, they put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and God, they're trying to kill me too. There's a frustration in his voice. There's a frustration in the context. Some might think he would be throwing what's called a pity party. How many have ever been there? I've thrown pity parties before. <laughs> oh, man. Why are they always picking on me? You ever, Charlie Brown, you ever been there? Come on. Why is everyone always picking on me? God, you don't understand. I mean, there, sometimes I have to expect to, you know, come in and there's pitchforks and, and the, the kill the beast type stuff, you know? God, I just, I, I, there's times where I just, God, what, why is everything going wrong in my life? And sometimes we just like to throw ourselves a pity party, right? Sometimes we just like to say, God, can't, can't you make me feel better for a little while? Some, some may mistake, some may see this and say, well, Elijah's just kind of throwing a pity party. But we have to understand that Elijah is speaking from a place of true despair. I mean, he is in a place of true despair here. I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. I mean, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, God. They've torn down your altars. They've killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Why are you here? What drove you to this place? Elijah, I've called you to do mighty things, but you're hiding in a cave. What are you doing here? How, you know, why, why are you here? 
What is your purpose in being here? I believe that God wants to ask the same question to some people this morning. What are you doing here? What is your purpose here? I've called you to do great and mighty things, but but you're hiding within yourself. There's more talent inside you. There's more things that I've called you to. There's more power within you, but you've hidden it within yourself. What are you doing here? The soul-searching question, which only Elijah can answer and only you can answer. Elijah believes that he's alone in his calling. He's alone in his faith. All of the prophets have been killed. I'm the only one left. And the Lord responds in an unexpected way. What may be a famous, famous account for some, I want to take a look at a little bit differently this morning. And here's how the Lord responds to Elijah's answer to what are you doing here? The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Keep in mind that Elijah has not gone out yet, but he is preparing to go out. Before he goes out of the mountain, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. When we look at this account, we see four incredible things happen. Three of them are spectacular things. I mean, the first thing is this massive wind, this giant and great and powerful wind, tears the mountain apart, shatters the rocks. And and previously, I mean, when when other people have experienced God, sometimes they've experienced Him with a great and mighty wind. Well, sometimes when, when people have experienced that God, they've experienced Him with a spectacular, great and mighty wind. But in here, God was not in the wind. And then there was a great and mighty earthquake. I mean, the earth shakes. And previously, there's times where the earth has shaken and God was in it. But here, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire. How many know that there's times in history where God has responded with fire? Where God appears as fire? And so it's a spectacular thing. But here we see that God was not in the fire. But then there was a gentle whisper. You know, there's so many times in our lives where I'm praying, God, I need an answer for something. Lord, I need an answer for a situation in my life. Lord, I need you to move on my behalf. I need you to do something in my life. And we want the spectacular. We want the earthquake. We want the wind moving. We want the fire. When the Lord is saying, just be quiet for a second. 
And there's times where we're only looking for the earthquake. We're only looking for the wind. We're only looking for the fire. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. There's so many times we want God to respond in the first three ways. We want God to respond in the first three ways without really listening to God. We're not looking for him. We're looking for a sign. We're looking for a miracle. We're looking for something spectacular. When, when sometimes God just wants to speak to us quietly. Psalm 62 says it this way. King David is speaking. He says this. My soul Wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. I love it when God shows up in the wind, and I love it when God shows up in the earthquake, and I love it when God shows up in the fire. But sometimes... It's not about God showing up in the spectacular. It's about him showing up in the intimate. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. What is your hope in? Is your hope in the fire? Is your hope in the wind? Is your hope in the earthquake? Is your hope in the spectacular? Or is your hope in the intimate presence of God? He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. When Elijah hears the voice of God, he goes to the mouth of the cave. And God again asks him a question. And now what's interesting here is the question is very familiar because it's the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's the same question. And it's the same response. It's the same soul-searching question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed the prophets. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. This is the depth of his despair. He just can't get out of it. He can't see past his hurt. He can't see past his frustration. He can't. How many been there? I've been there. I can't see past my hurt. I can't see past my frustration. I can't see past my anger. I can't be sad. I can't see past my depression, my sadness, and my tears, and my situation. I just can't see past it. But God wants him to see past it. God wants you to see past your situation this morning. I don't know what situation you're in, but God wants you to see past your situation. You say, I don't, you don't understand. I'm in a desperate place this morning. You don't understand. You don't know what I've been going through. It's okay. You're going to go through it. God wants you to get, see past it this morning. Why, why do we say that? What, what does that mean? Elijah is just, again, saying, God, this is all that's happened to me. And God says this to him. Go to the next slide. The Lord starts to give him directions. And we're going to get to the directions here soon. 
But he says this, he says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. He's giving Elijah instructions on what to do in the future. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of uh, Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael and Elisha. We'll get, we're going to get into all that next, probably next week now. But we're going to get into that. But here's where God wants him to see his situation. The next verse is where God wants to show him his real situation. Where you think the prophets have been gone. You're the only one left. You're just abandoned in your faith. You're, there's nobody left. Here's what God says to him. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You don't understand, Elijah. I know you think you're alone, but I've reserved 7,000 people who have not given in to this nastiness called Baal. I have 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to him, have not kissed his mouth. I'm telling you, Elijah, you are not alone. Elijah, I understand that you're upset. I understand that you're frustrated. I understand that you're angry. I understand that there are tears. I understand that you're crying. I understand that you're in the middle of your circumstance. But I want you to see past your circumstance. Because when you see past your circumstance, you'll see that you are not alone. When you look past your circumstance, you'll see that there are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He believes that he's a failure. He believes that Israel is lost. But God gives him this. It's not over, Elijah. You still have work to do, Elijah. As someone once told me, I think I told you this a couple weeks ago, I was in college, and man, I was upset. I was so upset. And my the dean at my college, I was upset over a situation, I was and I thought, man, just, I was considering quitting. I was just, I was going to be, just, you know what, I can just go home and I, got, I can work. And my dean, I was down and depressed. And he looked at me and he said the strangest words I ever heard in my life. He said, you need to buck up, buckaroo. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that funny? Joan started laughing. Buck up. There you go. It's all right, John. That's what he said. He said, buck up, buckaroo. I looked at him, and honestly, I probably looked at him like, are you crazy? Buck up, buckaroo, who says that? He said, you got to buck up. And I said, what are you talking about? Buck up, buckaroo. But you know what? He talked with me, and he encouraged me. He prayed with me. He said, man, you got, you got to buck up, buckaroo. This is how he talked. He's a funny guy. I feel like this is what God says to Elijah here. It's time to buck up, man. It's time to buck up. You still got work to do. Now it's time for you to go and do it. At this point, uh, we jump ahead a little bit in the sermon. This is the end of chapter 19. 
And in 1 Kings 20, uh, we're not going to turn there, but it, it talks about a time of war. Uh, during this time, this time of war for Israel. And we don't pick up with Elijah again until 1 Kings in chapter 21. So let's go there. Ah, let's go back one. How many are willing to give me a little extra time today? Anybody willing to? Nobody? Okay. All right. I get it. I understand. Someone's got to take their medicine. It's almost 12 o'clock. I get it. Lunch, lunch buffet is going to be ending soon here, so we got we to gotta get going. Amen? Come on. I'm just having fun. It's not over. We read about this time of war in 1 Kings chapter 20. Then we pick up in 1 Kings 21. I want to go into the story of Naboth. The story of Naboth and his vineyard. I don't want to go through every scripture of it because it goes through, it's quite lengthy. But I want to give you the gist of what happens. I want to give you kind of the uh, cliff notes, if you will. We come upon a man named Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. And what we read here becomes the pivotal event for the downfall of Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, the pivotal event. Naboth owns a vineyard. He owns a vineyard, and it's, an, it's a great vineyard. Now, Ahab sees the vineyard, and he wants it for himself. He wants it for himself. He says, I got to have it. But what does he want it for? He wants it for a vegetable garden. How many have a vegetable garden? Not many here have a vegetable garden? Where's Jeff? You got a vegetable garden? Come on. He wants it for a vegetable garden. This is what, I mean, really, this is what Ahab wants it for, a vegetable garden. He goes to Naboth, and he says, Naboth, I sure like your vineyard, man. I want to, I either, I want to buy it from you, or I want to trade you for a better vineyard. But either way, I want you to sell out. I want you to give that to me. And Naboth says, yeah, right. I don't think so. This has been in my family for generations. It belongs to my ancestors. I can't, I love this vineyard. This is my, this is our family's vineyard. Now, keep in mind, Ahab was the king of Israel. He had pretty much anything he wanted. I'm sure he had a, I'm sure he had a vegetable garden. I'm sure he grew lettuce and tomatoes and cucumbers and I can't think of other vegetables. I just don't like vegetables. That's how it goes. Carrots. I don't start naming vegetables. We're going to be, be here till 1 o'clock. I'm sure he had a vegetable garden somewhere else, but he wants Naboth's vineyard. He wants Naboth's land. He wants Naboth's land to build his vegetable garden. And Naboth says, I don't think so, Jack. I don't think so. And so this is why he, he hears this. Ahab says, you're telling me no? Naboth says, no. Ahab goes into meltdown mode. How many have toddlers? How many, how many have experienced when a child goes into meltdown mode? Come on, I mean, Doug, you know what, you know what I mean? I'm sure, where's Bryce? I'm sure Bryce went into meltdown mode. More than a few times. Here's, Ahab goes into meltdown mode. I mean, he stops eating. He starts pouting everywhere. <laughs> Steve. (laughs) 
You ever, you ever, when a, when a toddler starts crying so hard he stops breathing? Neighbors won't give me his vineyard. his vineyard. He's He's he stops eating for crying out loud. Dog. Stops giving. He won't give me his vineyard. He won't give me his vineyard. Stops eating. He stops. He's just a spoiled brat, right? He's just a spoiled little brat. He goes into meltdown mode. He's pow- he pouts everywhere he goes. How many know when someone around you is pouting, it drags the whole place down, right? I got five minutes. <laughs> when I was younger, I went to a birthday party. It was a fun birthday party. I went to a friend's birthday party. And I did something stupid. I threw something at a car. I was younger. I wasn't, this wasn't good. And this car stopped. We were out walking around. We were supposed to be walking around at night, but we were. And this car, I threw something at a car. It was small. It was plastic. But it hit the car. This car stopped. And out jumped four dudes. One of whom who had a can of Coke. And he chucked that Coke, and it hit me square in the chest. <laughs> and I fell to the ground. <laughs> I was like, ugh. Oh, Coke, ugh. You know, I was like 15. And I fell to the ground, and, and my other buddy, he was like ready to fight. And another car came by, and they jumped in their car and took off. And my buddies ran all over there. Oh, I, I felt horrible. I felt like, man, I've ruined everything. I get, I get back to the, get the kid's house, and everybody's like, Dave, you're an idiot. What did you do? I mean, you just you threw that? What are you doing? And I started, I mean, if my parents are here listening to this, you know, it happened a long time ago. Forgive me. And I, I, uh, I went to this, I went back to the party, and, man, I was just, ugh. I was going to get in trouble. His parents are going to tell I mean, his parents found out, so now his parents are going to call my parents, and I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to be grounded. I'm going to be, ugh. And I, won't you, I mean, I just sat there. I, what a, I was a punk, man. I just sat there. Just, oh, I'm in so much trouble. I'm in trouble. And I just, I mean, I just couldn't have fun. I couldn't have any more fun. I just sat there and pouted. I just sat there and pouted, and wouldn't you know it? It dragged down everybody else. Everybody else, Dave, come on, buck up, buckaroo. You know, I mean, they didn't say that, but they said, you know, come on, let's, you're not in trouble yet. Let's have some, you know. Man, I just couldn't get over. It dragged down. This is what Ahab, it just drags down everybody around him. Ahab is dragging down every, he's pouting. I didn't get my vegetable garden. He's, he's just. His wife hears about it. Can you imagine? Carol. Can you? I'm not saying you're Jezebel or anything. I'm not saying that. But can you imagine if you heard Doug was like, <laughs> Steve wouldn't give me his vegetable garden. And all of a sudden, Doug stopped eating, which, you know, that's not going to. So, okay. So, and all of a sudden, Doug is pouting everywhere he goes. And as, you, as his wife, you hear this. What would you think of your man? Oh, boy. Well, Ahab's wife is Jezebel. How many remember the evil Jezebel? 
that evil woman, evil Jezebel, she hears about this and comes in. And he, she says this. His wife Jezebel came in and asks him, what's the matter with you? I know that's not what it says here, but I'm going to put it, let's put it in today's terms. What's the matter with you? Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And this is, I mean, this is how he answers. You can almost imagine that he's whining, like crying tears while he answers this. Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, and if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in this place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. You can almost imagine that he's crying. <laughs> Jezebel, you understand. What a putz. What a putz. I mean, just a whiny baby. You can almost hear him in the background, right? Jezebel responds this way. Is this how you act as king? Is this, come on, buck up, buckaroo. No, she didn't say that. This is how you act. You're king of Israel. Get up and eat, for crying out loud. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. What are you doing? You're the king of Israel. I mean, grow up. Right? Come on. There's some wives here that have, you know, how many, how many husbands ever gotten sick? And when I say, you know, when your wife gets sick, she, she still does everything that she does. But when the husband gets sick, it's like, oh, I'm so cold. Oh, <laughs> I just got to lay in my recliner. I just got to, I'll be okay. Just a few hours of golf or basketball or something. I'll just, oh. She said, get up. Grow up. Get something to eat. I'll get you the, I'll get you the vineyard. How does she get him the vineyard? We'll see next week. (laughs) We'll see next week. Let's all bow our heads. Lord, we thank you. Lord, Lord, this is uh, to be continued. Lord, I thank you for your goodness in our lives. Lord, I just want to take a moment and just thank you for the testimonies this morning. Lord, just, just, I pray this, that this next week, Lord, that you would continue to reveal your goodness to us. Lord, that you would cheer us up. Lord, that you would help us to buck up, buckaroo. Lord, I know it sounds funny, but Lord, that you would just encourage us. Lord, that you would lift up our spirits. Lord, I pray over each person here this morning that you would bless them. Lord, that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.